0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding the light after perinatal trauma. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, Birth Trauma Survivor turned podcast host. So we're back with Haley for the next part of her story. It's interesting that you say God spoke to you about Della saying she was made to fight. And I think For years, I didn't quite fully understand the ways in which Chloe-Ann's life was in danger during my AFE. I was still pregnant when it happened, so obviously she was not getting oxygen Mm -hmm. and had to be resuscitated, had a low APGAR score. Um, And my sister came to visit, can't quite remember when it was, because she came to visit like a month after I got home and then I think the following year. And I can't remember which visit it was, but I remember her just coming and praying over Chloe-Anne. And again, like at the time, I didn't understand like the significance of her prayer and the ways that like, you know, she was just saturating Chloe-Anne with God's love and provision for her life. Um, But yeah, it's interesting. I'm really excited for you. And... I'm really excited for you that God spoke to you so quickly. Like, like I said, it took me years to understand the ways in which her life was in danger. I mean, part of it makes sense. Like, you know, that first year I was re-hospitalized, I think, four or five times. And so, you know, it was just really focusing on, like, trying to heal myself, trying to, like, get back to being a mom Um, and so like our situations are different, but I love the ways in which God is using this community that our, our nuances are different, but we can still identify and empathize with each other. Like what a beautiful picture of the way that God created community going back to like that COVID point of like your best friend saying, we're not meant to live like this. You know, Mm -hmm. at some point you have to get out in the world. And even when COVID was going around, you know, my medical team was like, you have to be extra careful. We have no idea what this is going to do to someone with your history. And that following June, like we went to visit my sister because I was like, if I don't get out of this house and like do something helpful to my mental health, I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't want to find out. So we're just going. Yeah.
1: At a certain point, it's like you got to weigh your mental health or your physical health, and both are so important, and I don't think that I realized that until going through this. I mean, I've always been Mm -hmm. a huge proponent of counseling, and I've been through years and years and years of counseling myself, but I didn't realize the correlation between the two. It's like if your mental health is not in a good place, your physical health will follow or vice versa and taking care of both for sure. Yeah.
0: So I think that's a perfect segue to the next question. Do you believe there's a stigma around asking for help during the perinatal trauma? Why or why
1: not? I think... It's interesting because I think that if you would have asked me that right after having her, I probably would have said yes. Mm -hmm. And maybe there is a little bit more, but I, or there is still a little bit of a stigma, but I think that we are creating, we as society is creating such a space for perinatal mental health and just health in general. That there is becoming more conversations, more resources, more awareness that mm-hmm. it's essential. It's it's so sad now to look back and think postpartum depression, postpartum an- anxiety, even antipartum depression and anxiety. That's such a thing. And I didn't really know the name for it when I was going through it. But to be able to name it, to know where to turn, to have communities and resources like this is so essential. So I think that it's just like any mental health crisis, if you will, that it's becoming normalized and okay and to hold space for it, it's okay to ask for help. Mm -hmm. That's not a sign of weakness, that's a sign of strength. And healing can only happen when you take those steps. I absolutely agree that healing can only happen
0: when you take those steps. I think too, like, I wonder, like, so when I think about the stigma, or when I think about the reason behind creating this question in particular, it, it really has to do with like, my parents generation. So like the baby Mm -hmm. boomers and the ways that they dealt with mental health. And I think in their generation, there is a massive stigma. It's, Mm -hmm. You know, this is just life. You get through it. You don't talk about it. You don't complain. You just white knuckle it, basically. Mm-hmm. I am, I agree with you also that I'm very hopeful our generation is changing that. And that it's okay to talk about these things because that's how we heal. That's how we support each other. That's how we identify with each other. And like your best friend said, again, you know, mm-hmm. we're created for community. We're created for connection. Mm-hmm. Um and you know when i think i had very severe postpartum depression after my first daughter and yeah when i think about it i was completely in denial i was completely maybe denial's the wrong word i definitely wasn't seeking help mm-hmm. i was seeing a counselor and you know trying to take care of my mental health in the ways that i wanted to i wasn't like seeking help like through friends or Family members, obviously, my husband knew what was going on, but it was very limited who knew what was going on. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, like I said, I'm thankful our, our generation is changing that, but a lot of times change is slow and hard, yeah. and, you know, moving the needle is, it, in some ways, I really question, is it enough? Are we doing enough to change the needle? And. I'm thankful that you consider my podcast a help in changing the needle. But yeah.
1: in what other ways can we change the needle? I think it all starts with conversations, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's where authentic deep connections happen in general. But I mean, I didn't have a resource before finding you I didn't have a resource besides counseling and just processing in general but I had no community or experience of talking to or hearing other women's stories before finding your podcast so I think that that's a really sweet way that we can help but I think it just starts with conversations and being honest with yourself. That's yeah, that's step number one. And I'm so grateful for my husband as well who knows that I already struggle and have struggled with depression and anxiety before getting pregnant. And so when I did get pregnant with Della, we actually came up with a plan. And I totally forgot about this when you were asking about postpartum experience I forgot about this until you were just mentioning that a second ago was my husband and I came up with a plan he said we're gonna agree right now that if I see this is him talking if I see any signs of postpartum depression you are calling our best friend and she is coming over she knows about this plan too and you get to hang out with her I will take care of Della no questions asked. You cannot fight me on that. And so Mm. it was just really sweet to have him looking out for me, my friend looking out for me. And it was no questions asked. She drops everything and she gets here. And that was just really cool. And so that's something that we have, you know, this time around as well. So it's just nice to have a plan ahead of time as well. Yeah. And I will say between my first and my second, that was something
0: I did with my counselor was, you know, if this happens, call this person. If this happens, call this person. If you need support in this way, call this person. So that was something I did different in preparing for my second. Yeah. And when I kind of compare the two, um, you know, maybe, maybe I had some postpartum depression after my second, I, I think it was just such survival that it was really hard to pinpoint what truly was going on. But hands down, with my mental health, my first was harder, which I know seems kind of odd, but it was. And Mm -hmm. yeah. In your email, you talked about the stigma of, well, you wanted to be a mom, so this is what you asked for. Can mm-hmm. we unpack that a little bit? Because I've had a family member say to me before, well, why do parents need a break if they're the ones who ask to have children? Coming from a family member that doesn't have children. So, like, I'm just curious what your thought process, because uh, I definitely have my own opinion about that
1: statement, but I'm mm-hmm. curious what your opinion is. Yeah, I mean, just across the board, Um I think one thing is that parenthood is hard no matter what stage you're in. (laughs) I remember a couple weeks ago I was thinking like, man, we've never really had like a truly, truly hard season with Della aside from, you know, the beginning Mm -hmm. of her life but she's such a good girl and she I feel like we never really went through like the terrible threes or the terrible what terrible twos terrible twos or three nager we just like haven't really gone through it and mm-hmm. the last couple weeks have been a little hard and i think you know it's obviously just a phase but i'm like okay these are you know harder days And, you know, again, thankfully, I have an amazing husband and he's such a good dad and we can kind of feed off of each other and sense when the other needs to step in and one needs to step away or whatever the case may be. But it is okay to, to have community. It's essential to have community. But it's okay to ask for help and, you know, the saying of it takes a village. I think that's so, it's like overstated. I'm not thinking of the right word. I'm sorry. I'm having pregnancy brain, but it's okay. But it's used so much. And I think that like a lot of people, even more so nowadays, don't really have a village, if you will, because we kind of conditioned ourselves with like social media to just kind of be in our little bubble. And yeah. I think that I'm seeing that more and more now that, yeah, you need community. You need to build connections. You need to have relationships, whether it be with family or, you know, church or a mops group, whatever it is, someone that you can call on and, and get, feedback get you know pick their brain get wisdom from people that have gone before you in that season of parenthood mm-hmm. but again back to being honest with yourself and you are only as good for your for yourself and your child as what you allow you know if you mm if you don't allow yourself those breaks or those built-in times for yourself, you're not giving your kids your best. You're not giving your spouse your best. You're not giving... Yeah. You know? I mean, that's just across the board. That's how it is. You have to take care of yourself. And just... Mm -hmm. I mean, even in the past, like, couple months am I actually able to, like, build that into my day? And I think that it's a game changer because your your patience builds and, you know, you're able to handle situations mm-hmm. better. And, yeah, that doesn't mean that you love your kid any less. It means that you actually love them more and you're, teaching them healthy boundaries and how to take care of themselves and not end up in, you know, mental health crises and, you know, because you are taking care of yourself. Yeah, I absolutely
0: agree. I, I absolutely agree. Is there something that you love most about
1: yourself after your perinatal period? I think that the way that I am able to take Della's story and process it and also share with her, she knows her story. She's known it since mm-hmm. she could start, you know, having conversations and looking at pictures and everything. Even the other day, she was watching a couple of videos of when she was in the NICU and she said, mommy, what's wrong with me? and i said nothing's wrong with you baby you were just really really tiny and i think she's starting to like understand wait there's leads on me there's all these things that are connected to me something must be wrong but mm-hmm. so i think that ability to share her story with her and she knows that she knows her strength but as a whole i love being a mom i love watching her develop into her own person and just I'm obsessed with her I think she's incredible and watching her overcome (laughs) everything that she has and even after the NICU she's been hospitalized for other illnesses that that born to fight has come back and that's what I hang on to. And she's just incredible. So I love just watching her journey and being a part of it. Wow. Wow.
0: Wow. Um, you left me speechless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah, I just, I think too about, not only Chloe-Ann's story and the ways in which she had to fight when she was born, but when I was born, I swallowed. Uh, So I have a twin sister, and as they were pulling her out, I swallowed amniotic fluid and meconium, and my lungs collapsed. I had to be transferred to a bigger hospital. Um, Yeah, so I, you know, my parents were told I wasn't going to survive they had a priest come in and read me my last rites. Yeah, so like born to fight really truly means, like your family, it truly means a different, it has a different depth to it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I have been told if, God forbid, the AFE happened to one of my other siblings, they may not have survived because they don't necessarily have that same fight that I do. And, um, which makes me sad. Like, it's definitely sad to think about something like that, uh, losing a sibling, but two, it just, it's just incredible the ways in which, like God, like I said earlier, that God was preparing me through my pregnancy and yeah, born to fight. I think that has to be the title
1: of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting that you say that God was preparing you because through the whole pregnancy with Della, I kept telling my husband, I can't picture her. And I can't picture like, her birth. That was something that like, I could not wrap my head around. I couldn't envision it. Mm-hmm. And I I think that that was also God preparing me for what I was going to to go through. Because you know, I had my birth yeah. planned and or, or birth plan and what I would like, but I could not envision it. And I think that was such a blessing that I didn't really recognize until after going through this.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, in particular, want to talk about your nonprofit, the ways in which God has opened that doors, the ways in which your faith has helped you move through your perinatal trauma and what you're doing today. So how has your faith shaped the ways in which you have worked through your perinatal trauma?
1: Well, if you listen to the first episode, you will hear the story of when I had COVID at 16 weeks and mm-hmm. truly being stuck in my room for 2 weeks while I was recovering and I couldn't feel my baby move yet that was extremely traumatic and that was a moment that I had to fully rely on God I didn't know if she was okay I didn't know the effects of covid cuz it was in the very beginning stages of the COVID, yeah. you know, pandemic. So I just surrounded myself with worship music and that's literally all I had was worship music in that room for two weeks. So I think like a extreme reliability on the Lord during that time In different circumstances, nothing like I had ever experienced. Just like, I can't do anything. And ultimately, I couldn't do anything anyway. But just totally knowing that God had her and he had me. And then through the trauma of her birth and all of that. And watching her grow and develop outside the womb at 30 weeks was insane. So, I think that that like gave me I know that that gave me a passion and true burden truly for for mm. babies and moms in crisis. So, yeah, that's, I think that it just allowed me to see a need and just truly how precious life is. Yeah. Haley,
0: I literally have chill bumps. Like, you really, um, you really struck a chord in me because of the ways, like, being an AFE's survivor and a stroke survivor. It just, it it's such a gift from, you know, the Lord and the ways that he fulfills our, our shortcomings, but it is, it is a burden. It's challenging to stretch myself. I don't tend to love being the center of attention. And so it can be challenging, um, you know, to do this week in and week out, but this is something that in conjunction with my recovery and my rehab schedule that I can do, um, to create the space for people to come and share their stories and have an unjudgmental safe space to process. Um, but yeah, it's, I think again, you hit the nail on the head of, yeah, there are days that it, it is, it's a burden and it's hard to, um, continue this work. I also want to affirm in you of I'm so proud that you have not only come so far in the last three years, but you're, you have that, I call it a tap line to the Lord to hear those promptings of, you know, creating this space. So with all of that said, let's talk about
1: your nonprofit. Yeah. So, I'm actually going to back up a little bit if you don't mind because. Not at all. My mom actually has a crazy story, and this all relates to where I'm mm-hmm. at today. So, long story short, I founded a nonprofit called Abundance Ministries, and it is to serve women and families facing crisis pregnancies. When I say crisis, I mean any pregnancy that's at risk for abortion. Anything from teen pregnancy and human trafficking to financial reasons to single motherhood, anything that Mm -hmm. makes the mom consider abortion. And so we mm-hmm. fulfill needs, equip families and share hope. It's the very simple approach and grace and love filled approach to crisis. But so we are 2 years old or almost 2 years old and you know, I I launched abundance in February of 21. No, 22 and when I was preparing to launch Abundance, I was thinking, how did I end up here? (laughs) I'm a hairstylist, I'm a (laughs) salon owner, like what in the world? And God actually reminded me of my story when my mom was pregnant with me and I've known it my whole life, but it didn't like hit me until launching abundance and so back in 92 october of 92 my mom actually just found the paperwork and sent it to me the other day it was october of 92 she had an amniocentesis and it was considered a geriatric pregnancy so that's what the doctor recommended so they did the amnio and if you don't know what that is they stick a needle in the mom's belly they draw amniotic fluid And then they test that fluid for birth defects. So they did the amnio. The doctor called my parents and said that the results came back and he wanted to discuss them. So my parents went into the office. He said that I was going to be born with spina bifida. And he told my parents that I would be confined to a wheelchair. And I have two older sisters. And the doctor told my parents that they could have an abortion. And thankfully, my parents chose not to. They didn't even give it a thought. And when I was born, I was born not with spina bifida. I was fine. Um, but what they did notice as a little girl, and I went through years of testing, was that my left cheek was much bigger than my right. So they thought that I had a hemangioma and I saw specialists and plastic surgeons and they were going to try to remove it. Come to find out through imaging was the doctor poked my cheek with the needle during the amniocentesis and he drew blood. And that's how they got the incorrect diagnosis. So just Uh that realization of like, science doesn't always have the final say and that great point. Yeah. (laughs) And that if my parents made a decision out of fear and tunnel vision and what they very well could have perceived as their crisis in that moment was, would be a different reality today. And that I wouldn't be here having this conversation. So, and then in 2020, I had Della and just seeing a baby at 30 weeks grow and develop. And she was no less of a baby at 30 weeks than she would have been full term. And so, yeah, that following September, the heartbeat bill took effect here in Texas, banning abortion past six weeks. And that's when my heart truly broke because I was thinking about Della and I couldn't sit by anymore and I just wanted to help mamas and babies. (laughs) So I launched Abundance. (laughs) So yeah, we are almost two years old we've helped 20 moms and we host shopping events and they can come and get items for free that they need. All of it is free to them. So high chairs, strollers, Mm -hmm. cribs, bassinets, breast pumps, bottles, baby blankets, clothes, books, toys, literally everything. And they Mm -hmm. can, I like to say we roll out the red carpet for them and we create a really fun, sweet shopping event. And just love on them and equip them and fulfill their needs, whatever it is. We also Mm -hmm. provide resources for counseling and child care and utility assistance, rental assistance, everything. So, wow, yeah, (laughs) that's Abundance Ministries and how it was born. Wow. It's,
0: you know, they, they... Everyone always says, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And so it's, it's interesting how with your, your birth story with your mother and how, you know, your parents were recommended to abort you. now fast forward 20 some or 20, 30, 30, 30 years 30, later, yeah. it's just interesting how 30 years later now you're helping the very mothers who could have been your family. And in my situation, like people like to joke, you know, amniotic fluid is not my friend. But and while that's funny, it's like, well, no, but God created amniotic fluid, too. Like that's a substance God created. And while I've had these really hard, awful situations to amniotic fluid with my birth with my mom and then my birth with my daughter, Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean God is not so good. If our listeners feel compelled, how can they support Abundance Ministries?
1: Yeah, so currently we are just in San Antonio, Texas, um, Mm -hmm. but we do have the goal of going nationwide. And... Ultimately, our goal is to have brick-and-mortar boutiques so then we don't just have to have, like, shopping events where we set up and tear down, but mom can come at any point and get what she needs. You know, we cannot be on mission without funds and being a nonprofit in a very touchy subject but I think that we are set apart because we're not yelling at moms in very vulnerable crisis situations we are actually Mm -hmm. providing the tangible and emotional help so funds are always needed and we need that to expand and to add more resources and more baby items and diapers and wipes. We also provide diapers and wipes for up to 6 months after the baby's born. So diapers and wipes are always needed. So yeah, I mean the biggest need right now is finances and continuing on mission. So yeah, they can they can support in that way and follow us on social media and Yeah, just follow along in the journey as God leads and as we expand and grow and continue to serve more and more and more moms. But we definitely need funds in order to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so where can people find you on social media? So
1: abundanceministry.org, ministry singular. And then our Instagram is abundance dot IES. And we also are on Facebook as well.
0: Wonderful. Well, Haley, I have to admit I feel a little sad that our time together is coming to a close because this this converse or these conversations have just been amazing and you're doing amazing, incredible things. And like just to see a fellow sister in Christ doing the tangible work on the ground, you know, kind of grassroots aspect is just incredibly stirring and encouraging to my heart.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and thank you course. for having me.
0: Yes. Anytime. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in today. We kindly ask you to head over to your favorite podcasting platform to leave us a review. It really helps with searchability and finding different podcasts. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, and you've been listening to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding light after perinatal trauma. Bye-bye.